Uh, and the, the theme of that was, I am nothing. nothing. Y'all were paying attention. Praise the Lord. That's the first good thing, good sign of the morning. Um, if we look at how Jesus modeled his life and how he humbled himself, again, as no reputation, and the reason that he was so successful and the reason that he was, lived such a miraculous life was because he made himself of no reputation. He made himself to be nothing in the flesh of a human being and allowed God to work through him. Uh, and to go back to Philippians 2, verse 6, it says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So again, he surrendered his will to the Father, and in doing so, he lived a miraculous life. He did not live that miraculous life because he walked into a room and said, Hey, everybody, I am Jesus. Listen to me. He walked into a room and said, I am humble. I, I am humbled by the presence of the Lord. The God Almighty above is the one I am doing everything I can for. Um, and in, in John 5, verse 30, it says, I can, and how we can do what we can do of ourselves. Uh, verse 30 says, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which sent me. So again, he completely surrendered his life for the will of the Father. And the message that I'm going to title this morning is called Commitment Versus Surrender. And the subtitle might be, We Get In the Same Way That We Got Out. So let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, just thank you for this opportunity, Lord. It's... it's uh, Lord, I just stand before you as a vessel. Uh, I just pray that you would work through me, Lord. I just pray that uh, my stumbling words and my, my lack of articulating uh, verbally what may come out of my mouth as, as, as a human being, I pray that you sweep all that aside. I pray that you speak, Lord, through your scriptures and through your lessons, Lord, and let heart be hearts be touched not by the eloquence of, of how I say things, Lord, just by the guidance towards you, uh, that you are the one that's heard today, Lord, and not me. Lord, we'll glorify you for the things that are to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so it's funny because when, when I was in elementary school, I don't know how y'all were. When I was in elementary school and we had spelling words, how many of y'all had spelling words when you were in elementary school? Right. And there were different things you had to do. You had to spell the word, right? Sometimes you had to use it in a sentence. And what was the other thing? You had to give a definition of that word. And the thing that was frustrating was one of the key points was if you had a problem defining it, the teacher would always say, you are not allowed to use the same word in the definition. Right. Am I right about that? Yeah. So it's funny. I looked up the word commitment, and the first definition I found for commitment was the act of being committed. <laughs> I said, okay, you know, as a third grader, I can't do that. But as a professional published writer, I can use the same word in the definition. So had to dig a little bit further, had to find a, a more descriptive definition. And the definition I found for commitment was an agreement or pledge to do something in the future. So again, an agreement or pledge to do something in the future. And then I went to surrender. Completely different. Surrender says to give up completely or agree to forego, especially in favor of another. So again, give up. Forego is what surrender is all about. Completely, dramatically different definitions. And what I found was commitment, 
and, and we're going to reference some scriptures in the Bible, you'll see where if we are committed, it all derives from making mental decisions, emotional decisions, and physical decisions. So these are all things in our flesh to live not only you know, here on the earth, but live our Christian lives. And we make that commitment on the surface, absolutely. We want to be committed. We want to be striving to live the best Christian life that we can. But again, we are relying on our flesh in that commitment. Whereas surrender, we give up ourselves. We die to the flesh to allow, in order to allow God to work in our Christian lives. Um, there's a Romanian pastor, and if you listen to some of Mark Trotter's preachings, you, he re- references him a number of times. His name is Joseph Tsan. Uh, again, a Romanian pastor, you know, over in Europe, he was preaching basically in underground churches, you know, back in a day where, you know, they were highly persecuted. They still are, but, in, you know, he would basically say, you know, he would stand in front of a room and his invitation, our invitation is pretty much, you know, hey, Jesus died for you. He loves you. He wants you to accept him. He wants you to come, have peace, have love, have joy, have happiness. That's our invitation. His invitation was, you know what, Jesus died for your sins. If you raise your hand for salvation, you accept him as as your savior. There are KGB agents in this room today. You will probably be arrested. You will probably be in prison. They will probably take your possessions. You could, at the end of the day, spend life in prison. And so you got to figure it's a whole different ballgame. And we have to appreciate at least a little bit about how lucky we are and how blessed that we are. But anyway, this gentleman has this quote talking about the exact very thing that I'm referencing. It says, when you make a commitment, you are still in control. No matter how noble the thing you commit to, no one, can commit, one can commit to pray, study the Bible, give his money, or commit to automobile payments, or lose weight. Whatever he chooses to do, he commits to. But surrender is different. If someone holds a gun and asks you to lift your hands in the air as a token of surrender, you don't tell that person that you are committed to. You simply surrender and do as you're told. Americans love commitment because they are still in control. But the key word is surrender. We are to be slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, when we get saved, if we think about our goals and our aspirations of how to live the Christian life, we think of certain words. You know, I think of certain words like strive, persist, work, discipline, and labor. And those all found, those are positive things, right? And I'm a born-again Christian. I'm going to strive, persist, work, discipline. I'm going to labor for the love of God. That's what I want to do. But our approach should be different. We should use words like yield, submit, present, abide, let, and rest. The greatest work of the Christian life is not in the working. The greatest effort is to get to a place where we are not working, but he is working through us. And in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5, it says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And again, in Philippians 3, verse 3, it says, For we are the circumcision, as pastor said, we are separated, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So Jesus died for us, right? 
If Jesus died for us, what is our natural inclination? He died for me. I need to live for him. But that's not what he wants. He wants, us, he wants to live through us. There's a difference. There's a difference of me living for Jesus, which is my flesh, and Jesus living through me, which comes through surrender. Now, being saved, how many of y'all got saved? And the next day, from then on till today, everything was perfect in your life. Anyone? Has anyone had that experience? Chris, come on now. Has anyone had that experience? I did not have that experience. So when I got saved and I went home and my, my, had you know, arguments with my wife or had fights with my kids or my finances weren't all in line and my bills you know, kept piling up, my job didn't go how I wanted to, all these struggles and all these obstacles that came in my life, I was like, well, you know, I thought you know, if God loved me, my life should be better. My life should, I should be able not to have these frustrations and these struggles. Now, though the Christian life is riddled with difficulties, we need to continue to live by God's calling. Now, here's the key. We are told to keep trying, keep striving. It makes logical sense, right? Based on what we've learned all our lives, what is it saying? If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. But we don't get where God wants us to get to by trying. There's only one way to follow God's biblical intention. The life that God has called us to live, it's not only difficult, it is literally impossible. It's not achieved by consistent trying, but by insistent dying. Amen. So in the failure in trying, referencing back to 2 Corinthians verse 4, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this, we are troubled. Listen, listen very specifically to how these sentences are segregated. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, not destroyed. In the first parts of these sentences, it shows that we work in the flesh and the difficulties that we face. And if you can, you can leave that verse up there, Mr. Christian, that'd be great. Troubled, perplexed, persecuted, cast down. But in the second part, to show that God, where God will bring us through in our surrender, not distressed, not in despair, not forsaken, not destroyed. So can you have the second part of that sentence without the first part? You can't. And the success, again, is not in the trying, but is in the dying. And we proceed on uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10. It says, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of, Je also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. So we constantly fight against what God wants, the things that he wants to use in our lives, to allow him to live through us. We pray. A lot of times our, pray, our prayers are to either avoid struggles, avoid hardships, avoid pains, or when we're in, how many of y'all are going through or have gone through a tough time, and the first thing you pray is, Lord, get me out of this. Lord, get rid of these troubles. Get rid of these struggles. Get rid of this pain, this hurt. But again, we've referenced back to verse 8 and 9 again. Troubled on every side 
perplexed, persecuted, cast down. But, that word but, yet not distressed, but not in despair, but not forsaken, but not destroyed. God is working in those difficulties, in those struggles, in those trials in our lives to bring us to the place where we need to surrender. Will we be dependent on God without those? Will we be appreciative of God without those? I can be 100% transparent. If I did not have troubles in my life, would I have knelt at an altar? Would I have been broken? Would I have said, Lord, I am a sinner. I know that I have no hope in this life to live and be a good person and get to heaven. I know I can't do that. I know I need you. And would we ever get there without those struggles and without those, those trials? I, we won't. So we are made to be conforming to Christ's image in these situations. Amen. And again, referencing back to verse 10 through 12. Always bearing in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Everything from the day that he was born to the day he died, it was not easy. He did not have a miraculous life because he had no struggles. He had no troubles. He had no conflicts. He lived the glorious, miraculous life that he did because he lived through God. God lived through him through the struggles, struggles and troubles. So Jesus died to give us life. And he wants us to die to give him life. That is the reason for the troubles, the struggles, being persecuted, being forsaken. The dying of our flesh allows Jesus to live in us. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, it says, For which cause we faint not, but through our outward man perish, yet the inward man, our spirit, is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, While we look not at the things that which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. Very clear. The eternal rewards, they're not through trying. They are through dying. Because Jesus sacrificed his life for us. The goal of our Christian life oftentimes is just to say, I am devoted to him. I am totally committed. I am a totally committed follower of Jesus Christ. And in a different setting, if I stood up here and I walked up and the first words out of my mouth said, I am a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't a lot of people raise their hands? Amen. Hallelujah. What could be wrong with that? But when it comes to Christ and offer our total commitment, we offer it out of the goodness of our heart. We offer it out of our devotion to him. We offer it based on what we can offer. Lord, you did this for me. Let me do this for you. Let me give you this part of me. What does that sound like? Who is in control? We are. The commitment is determined by what we want to do and the decisions that we make. But surrender, surrender recognizes that I am nothing. I have no decision to make. Because I am not my own. I have been bought with the price. I do not have a life anymore. My life is his. With surrender, we come and we report for duty. Lord, I am here. Use me. What will you have me to do? That is what God is looking for from us. The biblical response to Christ's full sacrifice is not full commitment. It is full 
surrender. And Jesus Christ was the epitome of this. Knowing what was to transpire, his suffering death on the cross, Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives to pray. And in Luke 22, verse 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Christ was flesh. He knew what was coming. He knew the persecution. He knew the pain. He knew the suffering. He said, Lord, I'm praying. If you will, take this from me. But if this is how it's to be, Lord, I surrender. Absolute surrender. And in parallel, if we look at Paul's life. Now, Paul is the greatest witness aside from Jesus Christ himself on the planet. Why was he that successful. Why did he live the miraculous life that he did? Because he modeled Christ. And if you look at 2 Corinthians verse 12 and verse 8, listen how similar this is. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. He asked the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest in me. So Paul modeled Christ. That doesn't mean that we don't say, Lord, please take this away from me. If that's God's will, that's God's will. If you're going through a hard time, absolutely rely on the Lord in prayer. But in that prayer, don't expect, he's not Santa Claus. He's not Easter Bunny. He's not someone to pray and he's not a, a genie with, with three wishes for you. You pray, he will answer. Sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's wait. And we have to understand that our full surrender is what he wants. And in Paul's example of the, of the modeling and the following is what we should do to Jesus Christ. Jesus, it, it's so eerily similar to how Paul's attitude was when it comes to his, came to that infirmity and came to him praying that to the Lord. You can see why he lived a strong Christian life. Now, in our Christian lives, another inclination for us uh, to live the, God, the life that God has called us to live, that we must have the faith that we can live the Christian life. That we, our faith must, I told you, faith must be strong. You know, we must grow our faith. It must be strong. We must uh, strive, persist, all work, all those things. But it's not actually our faith. It's the object of our faith. Let me say that again. It's not our faith. It's the object of our faith. Because imagine that you walk out and it is dead winter and there is a lake from here to the back of the building. In that lake, it has been negative 50 degrees for a week. And you're kind of uncertain. You're like, oh, maybe I'm going to. Okay, I think I can walk from here to there. I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to have a little bit of faith, and I'm going to step out on this lake. Just a little, just, whew, all right, here we go. Back and forth, and finally you step out on that lake. And that lake is, it is frozen from top to bottom. Are you going to make it to the other end? Absolutely. Now, you go out, it is like 32, 33 degrees right on the edge of freezing. You go out and you see the sheet of ice, but if you look closer, it's about yay thick. And you go, I am 100%, I have 100% faith this ice is going to hold me. I'm going for it. What happens? Boom. So again, is it our faith or is it the object? Of our faith. Who is faith? It's the object of our faith. Good answer. 
but the object of our faith. And, and that means our faith lies in Christ. Our faith lies in God. We can have the smallest amount of faith in the world, but we have the largest most enormous God in the world. So it's not the faith itself. It's the object of our faith. It is Jesus Christ. It is God Almighty. Now, uh, does God want me to have faith in my ability, which is commitment, or does he want me to have in his ability, which is surrender? So again, it's the object of our faith. And as pastors have been discussing uh, in our lessons through the book of Joshua, God did not send out the spies to have them come back and confirm that they could get in the promised land. He wanted them to come back knowing they could not do it, but they could only do it through God's power. And in Numbers 13, verse 27, and they told him and, and said, we came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely, surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. So the spies came back and reported, yes, absolutely, it is the land of milk and honey. It is the promised land. Yes, sir. But no, we will die if we try to take it. Caleb and Joshua put their faith in God, not in themselves. Their object of their faith was in God and pleaded with the Israelites to surrender their wills. In Numbers 13, verse 30, it says, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land the which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants, inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And then we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so we were in their sight. So were the giants in the land stronger than them? Yes. But were they stronger than God? No. And as through pastor's messages recently uh, of how the people finally crossed over Jordan and into the promised land, it only happened when? When the people surrendered. When they fully 100% relied on God. So let's backtrack a minute. What does it take in order for us to be saved? You know, let's break it down to very simple. How do, how do you get saved? You have to be brought to a place where the word of God, by the word of God, to utter helplessness and hopelessness to save yourself. You have to be brought to a place in a realization there is nothing that I can do in my flesh for my salvation. There's only one way to come to the place and call on the name of the Lord to be saved. It's not our works to save us. As long as there's something that we, we think that we can do, if there's some man, some religion, some actions that we can do to save us, we will never be saved. In Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Our commitment... Our commitment to God is not what he wants. Our works, our actions, our decisions, our choices. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are of, as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our inequities like the wind have taken us away. I want to go back real quick. And all our righteousnesses 
are as filthy rags. I've misread that who knows how many times. We're going to say, hey, everything we do to God is filthy rags. I'm thinking everything we do, good, bad, and otherwise. No, he says all of our righteousnesses, everything that we do in commitment, in intent, in desire to serve him specifically, those righteousness, that's what he sees as filthy rags. Our commitment, our desire to serve him through our flesh, he sees as filthy rags. Rags. It's not all the wrongdoing, but it's all the right things that we are trying to do that God sees in that fashion. As long as we think, as long as we are thinking, there is something that we can do for God. We do not understand the issue of our sin and our humanness that shows our need for Christ. Now, being a born again child of God, what do we tell people that we're trying to witness to? It's not your works. It's not your righteousness. Your strength. It's not what you're doing for God. We are helpless. We're hopeless. Without Christ, we cannot make it. We need what Christ has done for us. But it's crazy because somehow we don't get that when we are trying to live the Christian life, we are just as helpless, we're just as hopeless in our own strength, in our own righteousness to live the Christian life. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So we do the same thing that lost people do with their salvation. We trust in our flesh. We don't trust God. And Paul addresses this in Galatians, spot on, Galatians 3, verse 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. He might as well be saying, you know, oh, foolish charlatans. Who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only what I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Listen to this. Having begun in the Spirit, having been saved, having accepted Christ, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect in the flesh? I mean, that has hit me like a ton of bricks. It says, I got saved, so I did that through total surrender. But now, trying to be fruitful in my Christian life, how am I doing that? I'm not doing that by surrender. I'm taking what God had planned, and I'm trying to make my own plan. Paul said, how did you get saved? By what you did for God through the works in your flesh, or by what God did for you through his works through the Spirit? If that's how you receive salvation, God's work on your behalf, then how in the world can we think that we can brought to perfection and sanctification by any other way? And this is illustrated in the nation of Israel. In bondage in Egypt, which, again, referencing pastor's lessons, in bondage in Egypt, which is our lost condition, they were brought out. They were brought, every single one of them was brought out. However, how many of them made it to the promised land? Two out of 603,550 individuals. Two. Joshua and Caleb, all the others, died in the wilderness. Now, I don't want to go into exact details. Pastors so much more meticulously detailed than I am. But the journey from where they started to where they ended, was it 40 years of walking straight? I believe it was supposed to take 11 days. 11 days? And it took 12 days? 13 days? 40 years. It took 40 years but for some reason, they weren't getting into the promised land. So, God's intention, again, is not just to bring us out of Egypt, 
not just to bring us out of our lost condition, but to bring us in to live in the promised land, which is bearing the fruit of living the Christian life. And in Joshua 4, verse 19, it says, And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal, in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you. What else does that sound like? The Red Sea. Until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that he might fear the Lord your God forever. When they were fleeing Egypt, the only way that they escaped, they came upon the Red Sea, and what had to happen? Did they have to say, I am going to make my own decision, I am going to be free of my own will, and I'm going to strive? No. God had to part the Red Sea on dry, grand, on dry ground. They had to walk. They had to be freed from that sin, free from that bondage by God's will and God's action alone. And when they got out of Egypt, said, hey, we're out of Egypt, everybody. Let's rely on ourselves. Let's try to live for God. Let's do this. Let's do that. And for 40 years, I don't know exactly where they went, but they went like this. And they came to the River Jordan and passed through what? Dry ground. And they, they had the memorials there, as pastors gone into depth and detail, to remember that this was done only through God's will. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome, sorry. And the key verse is verse 23. How after 40 years you finally entered into Canaan, for the Lord your God did for you what you could not do for yourself. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over as the Lord God did to the Red Sea. So what is Joshua trying to explain? Telling how they got into Jordan or got into Canaan? The little what we learned is the way out is the way in. You have to surrender to be saved. You have to surrender to live the Christian life. So how do we live the Christian life? Do we live it the same way that we got saved? Do we live it surrendering to God every day? Do we live it by committing? Because committing oftentimes happens, you know, if you've ever been on a diet before, you know that (laughs) last night we went out to eat, and I'm telling you, at the end of going to Maggiano's, eating three baskets of bread and, you know, a salad and an entree and a dessert, I was, you know what, tomorrow... I am committed. I gotta get. I gotta drop a few because this is ridiculous. But my flesh is weak. You know, come about twelve thirty, I'm be hungry. So I'm gonna go find the Maggiano's bag and probably break the leftovers out and finish whatever's left in there. But that commitment is our flesh. That commitment, unfortunately, is an issue of pride. And in that commitment, a lot of times when we fall short and when we fail, it becomes discouraging. And the, but there's two ways to look at it. You can fail in that commitment and be discouraged. You can fail in that commitment and realize, you know what? I need to surrender. And there is a dramatic difference, a dramatic difference in that attitude. 
because in surrendering, you allow God to work through. You're not working for God. You're allowing God to work through you. And as we try to live the best Christian life that we possibly can, and Colossians 2 verse 6, 6 says this, As ye have therefore received, so the way you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. As you got saved, as you received him, the same exact way as what you should be doing to walk in him. How did we receive Christ? We were brought to a place where we said, Oh Lord, I know there's nothing that I can do. I'm not going to do anything but trust you and what you did on my behalf. We surrender to be saved. We must surrender to walk with him. So our prayer every day, every day should not be to strive, to persist, to work, to follow a discipline, to labor, but that we provide our bodies a living sacrifice so that God can live through us. And just remember, it's about commitment. No, it's about surrender. And if we're able to be saved through that surrender, we have to live in the same fashion. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for loving me, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that I, my stumbling and inability to, to, to say everything I wanted to say, Lord, I just pray that you work today, Lord. I pray that your scriptures shine through. You know, I pray that in our failures in our flesh, uh, the shortcomings that we have, Lord, that we understand that you want us to humbly come before you. You want us to surrender. We, you want us to allow you to work through us. Lord, I just pray if there's anyone here today, Lord, either in the service or online, Lord, I pray if you're in that point in your life where you've come to the realization that you're not sure if you die, you go to heaven. You're not sure if you have that relationship with Christ. Lord, I pray that you work in those hearts. You pray that those folks can understand today that through the surrender and the hopelessness and the helplessness of being able to do it on their own, that they would come to accept you as their Savior that died on that cross, Lord, that you took those, those nails in, the, in your hands, Lord, and that you suffered and died so that we could have that relationship with you so that we could be saved. Lord, I just pray, uh, if you're out there today, Lord, uh, these folks that need salvation and these folks that need to be saved, I pray that they would take the time and they would accept Christ as their Savior through that surrender. And if you're out there today and you do desire to have that salvation, you do desire to have that relationship, uh, I'm going to say a prayer. And again, it's not, it's not the most eloquent thing in the world, and it's not what will save you. It's going to be your heart. If you would, just repeat after me in your heart and your minds. And again, it's about the heart and the desire you have to surrender to him. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I fall short, Lord. I know that things that I've done, Lord, I don't deserve to, to go to heaven, but... I know that you died on the cross. I know that you took all of our sins. And if we're willing to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we will have a home in heaven. I just pray that you would accept me, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Know that I surrender. That I give up my will and my way to have you in my heart. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Every every eye is closed and head bowed still. We're going to have a little time. Pray to yourself. Ask God to do whatever you need him to do in your life and to work through you and live through you. And we're going to take this time to say a brief prayer and then we'll, we'll pray and be dismissed.